Hi, this is Frank McKenna. Welcome to another episode of our Winning Women series in the Downtown Den podcast. And this week I'm joined by Sophie Gilmore, the Managing Director of Hybrid Training Centre. Sophie has enjoyed a very diverse career. She started out in hairdressing, moved into training hairdressing apprenticeships, um, and then went into the commercial side of the college business at the city of Liverpool College. She now runs her own business and that journey has been a fascinating one. She's going to talk us through the highs, the lows, the challenges and of course her ambitions. As I say, it's a great conversation um, and I think that anybody who has doubts about whether they should make the jump, take the leap of faith to set their own business up. This is definitely a podcast for you. Any female who has got imposter syndrome, well, listen to Sophie and her sort of take on herself uh, as to how you can potentially overcome that particular challenge. Uh, And the other thing that is really great to listen to is Sophie's take on education because she was involved in the sector for a long time. And I think her analysis, particularly the school system, is spot on. So this is Sophie Gilmore um, talking to me, Frank McKenna, in the Downtown Den. Hello, welcome back to the Downtown Den for our latest episode of our Winning Women series. And I'm delighted to be joined today by, I think, Managing Director of Hybrid Training Centre, which is a Liverpool-based company that obviously does training, but it's a bit more interesting than that. And certainly... Sophie's story is more interesting than just being a trainer. She's set up her own business probably only about a year ago now, uh, having been in the education sector for some time. And so we're going to talk today about that transition from working at a big old institution that was the City of Liverpool College into her own business, how that's been in terms of the hustle and bustle and what she's found challenging, what she's found rewarding, and our plans for the future. So, Sophie, welcome to the Downtown Den. Thank you. And let's just go back to the early days of you starting out then. And um, let's go back, in fact, all the way back to, to, to school and what you were thinking about being back in those days. Must have been all of 20 years ago, that, Sophie. Uh, 1998, I left uh, Notre Dame High School, which I hated every minute, every day of five years. I absolutely hated secondary school and it just wasn't for me it was it was in my way that's what secondary school was for me it was absolutely in my way I needed to be out working in and and I couldn't wait to leave and so I spent probably the last two years when I should have been revising picking options doing GCSEs thinking about the apprenticeship that I was going to secure when I finished. And all I wanted to do was uh, an apprenticeship in Tony and Guy. That was my big dream, to get this apprenticeship when I was 16. And I was just really good at doing hair. So, uh, you know, no one ever taught me to do hairdressing. I was good at it. And I'd sit in, in school and just be, like, saying to teachers, well, you know, this is kind of wasting my time because I'm going to be an apprentice at Tony and Guy when I leave and so I left and I applied in the summer and I didn't get it. And I left with no GCSEs. Mm. So I sat 13 and I didn't get any. 
but it didn't really bother me because I knew that you know what I was going to do I was going to do hairdressing but I didn't get this apprenticeship program and I was absolutely I can't even explain the devastation I was devastated and I knew someone that got it and it was just it was awful so I went to college and I hadn't really ever considered going to college I didn't really know what college was because you know school was most people were pushed to do A-levels but I went to college and went to Hubert and I absolutely just loved it. I'd arrived on day one. I was just, I was good. Straight away, I could, you know, I could do everything. The teachers loved me. I was winning competitions. And that was that, was that then. It was um, just hairdressing, progressed through the levels. Did go back for an apprenticeship at Tony and Guy and uh, did secure a level three apprenticeship, <laughs> thank God. And, um, yeah, just loved loved every minute of it. Okay. So when you reflect back on your days in school now, do you think you ought to have tried a bit harder or do you look at the educational system as it is, because it hasn't changed that much, and think we do need to reform what we do with our kids in school? I think it's it has developed a little bit in the better support that kids have for school in, in uh, secondary schools now. But should I have tried a bit harder? I wasn't naughty. I was not a challenging student at all. But I just really wasn't interested in that particular curriculum. And I think had I have had a better range of uh, qualifications, courses available to me, the actual core subjects were a vital English and maths I probably could have come to a compromise with teachers in school as to say, well, if you let me do hairdressing, for example, I will be my best at um, English and maths. And I may have got some GCSEs, the GCSEs that were going to carry me through adult life rather than, um, I don't know, I spent two years studying sci-fi movies in media studies. You know, (laughs) it just wasn't an enjoyable experience. (laughs) And... In terms of your own personal journey through school, so you say he wasn't a challenging kid. Um, obviously, there must have been some credit and praise given to the way in which you, you behaved, at least. Was there ever a time when a teacher or somebody within your family perhaps said to you, you know, actually, you need to drive yourself into this area? Is that why you, you went into the hairdressing and apprenticeship route? Or was that something that you just developed in terms of your own thinking um school i think is it's school is very much for the bottom and the top so if you're in the top 20 percent, school are going to bring achievement coaches in and they're going to get you to those a's and a stars and if you're in the bottom 20 percent, school are going to bring in intervention coaches and they're going to try and raise you up to get minimum grades. But actually, if you're kind of coasting in that middle bracket, there isn't really a lot for you to actually motivate you, you know, to get better grades, try harder. Hairdressing, you know, I've got no family members that are in hairdressing. I used to love going with me mum. My mum used to go to Hairbits years ago, you know, when I was in, in primary school and I'd love going with her on a Saturday sitting in Herberts watching them all watching Herbert of Liverpool mm. and I just knew that that's where I wanted to be you know on that salon floor doing hairdressing speaking to customers and um, 
I loved it. I've had a great career in hairdressing. So that was very much personally driven from you. And then you've managed eventually to secure your place, obviously, at um, Tony and Guy, which is big salon chains. It's still going, Tony and Guy. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. is, yeah. Um, and so I'm guessing, you know, because again, let me just make a confession here. You know, I've been a bit critical of the way in which we've created these like, numerous places for hairdressing courses, hair and beauty courses, computer courses of a particular level. I'm not talking about code and I'm talking just, you know, getting kids to be able to use a, a, a laptop properly, really. Um, and I think that, you know, what you're having to make me rethink, I suppose, in terms of my attitude to that is that must have given you a base dealing with customers. You're almost like a one-woman business, aren't you? Because you're dealing with cash as well and you're trying to keep, retain customers, win clients and so on. Even though you're working for a company, you're still very much trying to keep yourself busy, keep your customers happy. So have I underestimated the, the profession of hairdressing? Look, hairdressing's a, a great career, so it's, you know flexible it's a you can make a lot of money certainly make a lot of money in in hairdressing it's a very social role you know so I was with Tony and Guy I I ended up moving over to Tony and Guy in Dublin worked in uh, Tony and Guy in uh, Dublin city centre and then into the Tony and Guy Academy and that's where I started to uh, get into training and education over there but it sounds a bit kind of cheesy to say it's the softer skills that you develop with hairdressing and actually you do and some of those softer skills have saved me well now to where I am you know with being forced into dealing with uh, customers and being very personal with customers from a young age because it really is true that when you're at the backwash at 16 being an apprentice customers will divulge all kinds of information to you and so then from very young you are able to make a decision on you know what you do with that information how you react to the information and I think that the skills that you might not necessarily get from other sectors yeah I think that's an interesting point isn't it and that's when I was thinking about you know as you're telling me that you were in hairdressing which is something I didn't know before we sat down it was then trying to match up what Sophie Gilmore is today and I'm guessing that that trade gave you some of the things you're talking about there that you describe as soft skills but are essential if you're actually going to be successful in business and that is you know being able to get along with people confidentiality um, being able to have a laugh because that's part of the hairdressing experience, isn't it? You know, I go in and get my hair cut and, okay, I'm not in there for a couple of hours getting my hair washed and so on, but you're there for 20 minutes or so. And it's always better when you've got somebody who's chatting away and you can talk about the football or whatever. It's always like when you're going on holiday, isn't it? That's the question that you always get asked by a barber or a hairdresser. So that sort of side of, as you say, describe as soft skills, I can understand how that developed. When and at what point do you decide that industry sector is something that you've gone as far as you wanted to go in and you wanted to make a shift? And where was that shift to? 
Yeah, so I moved into the Tony and Guy Training Academy in Dublin. I, you know, I, I loved working with them, the younger apprentices, and loved kind of, you know, developing skills, showing people what I knew, telling people, um, you know, giving them the information, what, what I kind of had the opportunity to do. And then when I moved back from Dublin, uh, a role come up at Hugh Baird's College. And, you know, I'd, uh, I'd been in a, a, a student there myself. And actually a lot of the same uh, teachers were there. The uh, head of the department was there. And I, I, it, it, was, it was a really rewarding role for me that, you know, I was exposed to some great hairdressing in, in Tony and Guy. And so then to go into a local community college and be able to um, to work with young people from it from the area, largely from Bootle at that time, uh, you know that was it. That was really really good for me. Spent a couple of years at uh, Hubert and then moved over to the City of Liverpool College, still in the hairdressing department. Um, work for about a year in hairdressing. And um, one day our hairdressing uh, staff room got this call to say the principal's going to an event, can someone do a hair? And obviously the whole uh, staff room went, uh, we're all on our lunch. (laughs) And so I was like, yeah, I'll do a hair. And I'd only been there about three months. And um, anyway, so it was like, you know, right, don't say this, don't say that, be your most professional self, which of course I'm going to do. I've spent 20 years on a salon floor, I'm going to be professional. And um, yeah, so then I met I met Elaine, the principal of uh, the City of Liverpool College, doing her hair. And it, it was it was no different to doing the next person's hair in, the next, in, in another salon, you know, it was exactly the same. Right back to where are you going on holiday this year? And um, she she asked me, you know, what my plans were, how long I'd been at the college, what I was planning to do. And I was just really straight up with her and said, like, I want your job. And I want your office, your chair, and I want your job. I want to know everything you know. And that was it. It changed then from that day. It did. She said to me that day, I will mentor you. And, um, you know, she's the principal of a large college. And I thought, well, I could maybe never hear from her again. But I did, and I heard from her the next day. And that was just, at that day then, I was just so inspired to be like she was, know what she knew. And, um, yeah, that's where it all started. So it was life-changing doing the principles here. Absolutely. And you and I know very well, and obviously she is an inspirational figure. Uh, and it's a big old animal, isn't it, the, the, the college? And uh, I sit on the governing body there just to declare an interest in saying how outstanding the place is and, and what a great job Elaine does. She's actually going to be a future guest uh, on the podcast, so it'll be interesting. I'll mention the fact that you've uh, given her a sort of plug in terms of your career journey. So presumably what happens then is you move into the realm where you and I first crossed paths, is that right? Yeah, so I had a couple of different roles then within the college. Uh, moved into a head of teaching and learning role in a quality team and then an opportunity come up then to head up the apprenticeship provision 
and I just I thought yeah actually that's where I see myself now I uh, loved apprenticeships I've been an apprentice always wanted to be an apprentice from school and I got the opportunity to move down to the construction and engineering college down at uh, Vauxhall Road and when I got that notification you move into Vauxhall Road I thought oh right me <laughs> I don't work <laughs> in Vauxhall Road uh, full of men within construction you know in my mind, Elaine was going to move the whole apprenticeship provision up to where I worked. <laughs> and she very quickly told me that, that that wasn't happening. And I moved down there the next day and um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I uh, I hadn't really spent much time in, in Vauxhall Rose at all in the construction and engineering department. I didn't really know too many of the staff down there. But I kind of knew really quickly it's a heavily male-dominated training centre, a representation of the industry. And I thought, right, well, I'm going down here to manage this team and um, head up this provision. And I need to really quickly make a decision that either I'm going to manage them or they're going to manage me. And, you know, it was always going to be, I'm going to manage them. <laughs> and straight away then, I uh, got on with them like a house on fire. You know, it was, look, this is my expectations. This is where I'm driving this provision. This is my vision. Are you in or are you out? And if you're out, you're out. Mm. And I think that the team responds as well to that. So um spent uh, four years um, in the apprenticeship role, moved into director of workforce skills then. And then that role kind of diversifies around still looking after apprenticeships, but then looking after commercial um, business. So upskilling existing workforce for, for businesses and then working in, in an unemployed market as well. So moving people from, you know, job, job centre plus into um, courses, qualifications and then into jobs. Okay. Let me take you back to that job that you obviously bit of a leap in terms of the um, role that you're undertaking. And you've said that you're moving into a male-dominated sort of industry sector and certainly a site that was male-dominated. And I know the site well. And they do a great job down there, yeah? Um, so you've sort of, I think, skirted over a little um, the challenge there because you said, so what I did was I just went in and said to them all, look, you're either in or you're out. And they all got on board. Now, if it was that simple, Sophie, then I need to know what your secret is because we all, you know, whether we've managed teams, whether we're business owners, whether you've just had, you know, a, a football team that you've been involved in, we'd all love to be able to go in and say, look, the culture of this place from now, because I'm leading you, is this, and everyone just falls into line. Now, listen, I can tell from your face that didn't happen. So what were the sort of things that were challenging for you um, that you had to overcome? And perhaps, you know, it may or may not be the case, but were there any individuals in there who sort of started that journey with you sceptically but ended up on the bus? So I think the this is not necessarily unique to that position actually this happens in the position that i'm in now but common barriers are well i'm probably 20 plus years younger than the majority of the team that i now lead um 
the majority of the team that I did lead then, similar to now, are males. And they're all, generally speaking, credible males in construction and engineering. And what do I know about construction and engineering? I'm a hairdresser. (laughs) So they were, you know, three really big barriers. And so it was how I choose to, uh, to tackle that. And, you know, I did have to have an element of, I'm not going to flex on this. So this is the vision, you know, this is the set of kind of non-negotiables that I'm putting on the table. And if you want to be a part of something great, stay in the room. And if you don't, then, you know, maybe my team and my vision isn't for you. So that's not to say there isn't a role for you, but there isn't a role in my team for you. And it was it was tough and not everyone um not everyone did get on board with me so some people did move on uh, some people moved into different roles and then the people that did stay with me they knew that it was hard work and so we're we're not coasting here at all we're going at pace and we're gonna make the changes make improvements be actually a really innovative uh, department in the college because what I really needed to be was the winner. That's that's who I am. I need to win. And so no one is ever going to sit down next to me and say, I got a 10 if I got a 9. That's not going to happen. So I'm going to do, we're going to do whatever we need to do to make sure that the team win, the department wins, the apprentices win, whatever it is. And so look, now it was it was tough. There were, there were tough days, Um actually then you see the team coming around they get on board with you they're not going to always agree with everything that I um, said and actually I've had to learn a lot then about me and my leadership style the way that I conduct myself I've um, I've gone through a fair amount of uh, coaching a small amount of uh, mediation <laughs> <laughs> and um coaching actually has been really beneficial for me because I've really struggled in a leadership position to understand why there are people in my team that don't want to be the best or don't want to be the winner and it's taken me a long time to understand that actually within a business or a workplace there's multiple roles and not everyone wants to be the number one and and that's something that I've struggled with and I'm 100 miles an hour I know I am. And so actually it takes a, a fairly strong member of the team to be able to say to me, Sophie, you're going too fast. You're at 100 miles an hour here. You know, like slow down a bit. Um, <laughs> but actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know that, you know, our, our, the team laugh at me now in, in hybrids and they'll say like, well, you create chaos. That's what you do. You come in, you know, you create chaos and you walk out the door and here we all are picking it up uh, behind you but so yeah um coaching's been beneficial for me it, it really has yeah. I, it's something i'd recommend it's only something that i probably started maybe a decade plus um when i started my own business business coaching something that i'd heard about i'd sort of seen other people get involved in it and i thought not for me not that i think i know everything but just probably thought I can't change. And I don't think a, a good business coach actually tries to change it. I think what they try to do is take that sort of DNA 
of you and just apply it in the most positive way that you can. That, I think, is what a good business coach does. You know, my business coach never said to me, well, you know, stop being a big-headed bastard. Um, they accept that you are, and they try and <laughs> they try and make sure that you, you're channeling the right way. You're supposed to say then, <laughs> no, you're not, Frank, but there you go. Uh, at least I'm self-aware, yeah? I'm still getting over the fact that you've said bastard on the podcast. <laughs> well, you have now as well. So there you go. So... Um, you're going through that sort of journey of, you know, you've been uh, an employee. Uh, then you've gone into a situation where you've had, it's a brilliant story, by the way, you know, you, you're doing the principles here and then you end up getting um, fast-tracked, I guess, to an extent into more senior roles. And now you're managing this team. Um, and obviously you say after four years or so, you're then dealing with, the business community in a much more direct way, in an engaged fashion, and you're dealing with commercial deals. The college, I know, is attempting, at least in some of its aspects, to be to become more commercial itself. And it's challenging for colleges and educational institutions to do that because they're a public sector service, but increasingly because of budgets and all the sort of things that we know about, um, they have to try and generate income as well. And that's a job that you had. Now, just talk me through, you know, where you were starting to go with that particular project within the college. And at what point do you start to think about maybe I want to get the shackles of an institution off? And I don't say that in an unkind way to the college. I say that because that is the case within any organisation that you may work, big or small, you can always think, actually, I'd like to go and fly myself here. Was there a particular point where you start to think in that way? I didn't necessarily think that I wanted to work for myself, have my own business. The The college has been great, got me to where I where I am now. But I always, I always used to sit there at the end of the day and think, I feel like I'm sitting in a supercar in first gear. That's how I felt because I've got a hundred ideas a day and everything is so slow that it just is large organisations, whether it's public or private sector. If you're a really large organisation, things are slow. And I always knew that we needed to have a presence in the green agenda and in... um, green technologies, green jobs for young people. And it was something that I, I I knew that I cared about and I knew that young people cared about it. So, you know, the, uh, you know, I, I, I consider myself fairly young, but actually, you know, 15, 16, 17 year olds, they really do care about the environment and climate change and they care that they can go into a career and, um, you know, make a change. And so it was something that I really wanted to move us into. And for a while, it was it was just taking too long. So we were making some headway with it, but not as fast as what my own head was going with it. <laughs> and, you know, I'd, I'd sat and pictured how this um, new purpose-built uh, college academy would look. 150 times over I'd get in bed and think about how this would look and it kind of just wasn't really moving fast enough for me 
And so um, I knew a, a small private provider based in Liverpool. I briefly knew them. I'd only met the um, owner once before. And I just... Um, I, so I phoned him. I phoned Andy, my husband, and said, um, I'm going to resign. And he just said... He knows, you know, he knows exactly what I'm like. He's just said, right, just give it a day, sleep on it tonight, and if you're still going to do that, then do it tomorrow. So I said, all right, but I've already done it. And he was just like, right, okay, <laughs> all right then. Let's just pause there. Let's just pause there, because again, um, if we're not careful, you start scouting over things that are really scary things to do, right? So, you know, I'm going to resign. So... Let's take that in its practical sense of what that means to you and to your hobby and to the whole of the lifestyle that you've got and what you've created. Because you've been at the college how long by this stage? Uh, eight years. So eight years. That's a long time. You've invested an awful lot. Your reputation within the college is high. I know that. You've made and built relationships within the Liverpool business community with that college hat on. So there's a perception of you as well that you're the girl from the college. Uh, you know, I know people who used to refer to you as that. In fact, you were at one of our events a couple of months ago and someone referred to you that. I didn't put them right. Um, but you've got that sort of reputation that you've earned, you've built. You know, that's your personal brand almost. And, and let's not forget this, you've got the security of a monthly income coming in. So, you know, you can have a shitty day, a shitty week, a shitty month, and yet you still know that salary is going to land at the end of that month. So that is a hell of a risk to take, Sophie. So COVID was when you really realised the security you had in these large public sector organisations that you're seeing people really struggling in COVID, businesses struggling in COVID, and, you know, for the majority of um, colleges up and down the country, our staff workforce went home and was secure that we were going to get our same salary every month until this thing had come to an end. But uh, now I, I am a fairly impulsive person, so that I'd made that decision then, I'm just going to go for it. And if I, and if I think about it, I'll, I'll be saying in 10 years' time, why didn't I do that? <laughs> so I'm going to go for it and I'm going to do it now. And I knew that if I'd have said, I might resign, and Andy would say, oh, we'll think about it, then I probably wouldn't have thought about it. I probably would have just got on with doing tomorrow night's tea and mm. that was the end of that conversation. So I just said, no, I've got to do it, and, I, and I, I'm doing it. And, and the motivation here, I guess, is twofold, isn't it? So it's the frustration that being involved in a big organisation, the, the, the inevitable slowness of that, because it's a big tanker, is the college. The rules. and Yeah, the rules, the regulations, and all corporates. I mean, this isn't... Uh, the other thing I should make clear, by the way, is this is just isn't a public sector problem. Um, it's, a, it's a problem with big corporates as well. You know, the bigger the company, the more difficult, time-consuming it is to make decisions. So there's that frustration. But also, listening to the journey that you've been on, there's something within you, isn't there? There's an ambition and aspiration. You've had this vision in your head of creating something special, and you've decided, actually, I can do this quicker and probably better myself. Yeah, I could just, I could see it. 
every day I could visualise it and I really, I really wanted it. Now, whether that was I want it by being an employee or whether that I want it and I'm going to do it myself, that didn't really matter at that time. It was just, I want this. And I always kind of come back to, look, I'll always be a hairdresser. The bottom line is I can cut hair good. So if it all goes wrong, <laughs> I'll get my scissors back out. You've got a trade. I've yeah. got a trade. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, so, you know, that was it. I resigned. I uh, I called my now business partner, um, John. I think I caught him a bit off guard. And I, I can, I can, honestly, I can tell you exactly where I was standing in my house here this day. I rang him and just said, um, I, uh, you know, it's it's Sophie from the college. <laughs> And um, he's like, oh, I heard it. how are you doing? I said, would you consider selling me your business? And that was it. That was the conversation. You know, would you consider selling me your business? And he just burst out laughing. He said, well, I'll, I'm in the airport now, but when I get home next week, I'll, um, we'll go for a coffee. Now, at that point, we're going to pause. We're going to take a short break, as we always do in these podcasts. And when we come back, we're going to find out how the negotiation went with John, came back from the airport from his holidays. So stay with us. We'll be back in the downtown den with Sophie Gilmore in a moment. It's only right that during this winning women's series of Downtown Den podcasts, I remind you that on the 10th of March, Downtown in Business will host its Women in Business Awards at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Liverpool. We literally have 30 tickets available as I speak. It may be less by now. So go onto our website, all the wsdowntowninbusiness.com, direct yourself to the Women in Business Awards section on that website, book your tickets today. Don't be disappointed. It's always a fantastic day and we have some great entrepreneurs in the room to celebrate with us. Sponsored this year by Lloyds Bank and Biograd. That's the 10th of March, Crown Plaza Hotel, Liverpool. And it's a daytime event. Uh, We finish very late at night though, but it is a daytime event. Hope to see you there. Welcome back to uh, my conversation today in the Downtown Den with Sophie Gilmore. Sophie is the head honcho at Hybrid Training Centre. And before the break, we just got to the point where she'd made the call to the then owner, John, offered to buy the business, and he was flying off on his holes. So when he's landed back at Liverpool or Manchester Airport, Sophie, um, what happens then? Yeah, so me and John, I... uh... I met him in uh, Starbucks and uh, had a chat and he was, he, this is only the second time I've ever met him <laughs> and he just he just started laughing when he got there. He said, I had to sit, I had to have this meeting because I was that astonished in the airport that someone would out of the blue just call me and ask me to buy the business and he, he said, I knew you were serious. I knew you wasn't just someone, you know, saying um, you're interested in a sale. Um but actually, he said to me, yeah, I am. He said, I've been thinking about my exit strategy. He was uh, 64, and you'll hate me for saying he's 64 on this. <laughs> um, he doesn't look a day older than 63, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> he, he was 64, and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for what my exit will be. And, um, and yeah, I'm interested. And um, he said, I'll, um, I'll, I'll sell you half. 
and he he said I'm going to stay on for uh, three years when we you know gone through all the kind of detail he said I'll stay on for three years so I said okay so I'm sitting in Starbucks and he was like look you know I'll get you the accounts and blah 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 over so I said right the only thing is um you're up for an Ofsted inspection and that's a concern and so the way Ofsted works without going into loads of detail is uh college if they were graded a, a grade four would be um fairly protected for a period of time but a private training provider a private business is not and you would lose all your contracts and essentially you've lost your business within 24 hours so i said you're up for a, a full offset inspection and he said yeah 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 you, everything will be fine so i thought okay everything will be fine you know you know the business better than me um when um that was that that was on wednesday um Friday morning I'm on Otter's Pool Pram walking the dog and he phoned me and said we've just had our offset call we're having a full inspection Monday morning so I started work that day in hybrid and I never left mm. um and so I went up and my first day was a full offset inspection and it was tough it really was tough um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know the business. I knew the what the business done, but I didn't know a lot of the detail. And having been through four full Ofsted inspections, they are tough. They are emotionally draining. And I just had, I had a hundred and fifty emotions all in one day. You know. you know it's not really my business why am I even bothered actually this could be my future I'm so bothered you know I've just resigned um my mum and dad were saying to me like oh Sophie just walk away now just walk away go and beg Elaine for your job back (laughs) um and I was like no no I can get through this and we did get through it and we got through it with uh requires improvement and a report of recommendations um and then, yeah, it took it took a few months um, for the sale to go through. And, um, you know, during that offset inspection, it was very clear that actually, John, if I buy half a hybrid and I um, come on with this team, you work for me and um, take it or leave it. And he straight away, he said, let's do it. You know, let's do it. And, and I won't get in your way. And actually, I think that could have probably been quite difficult for him then. You know, he's run the business for 17 years. He is an engineer. And um, he's, you know, 25 years older than me. And um, true to his word to this day, he's never, ever tried to, you know, undermine my vision for hybrids, uh, get involved with management decisions that I make you may not always agree with me but actually does respect that I've got a role and and he's got a role and they're two different roles Mm. and that in itself I I think is uh, a testament to to two things Um, first of all from John's perspective a a degree of pragmatism there from him uh, and some humility uh, because there's a lot of guys and women I suppose but certainly guys north of 60 think they know it all so why would we let anyone let let alone a young woman come in and and start bossing us around and telling us what to do so hats off to John for sure but also I think it's a testament to your ability to explain to people what you can bring to the party and so you know whilst 
that was a negotiation that I'm sure went on for a, a number of weeks and there was some to and fro in. You know, you've convinced a principal of a college in the course of doing a hair that you're worth actually spending some time and investing some time in. So there is something within Sophie Gilmore that gets people to buy into you. And that is a talent now that having bought a business, having gone to a position of, for most of your career, working for somebody and being salaried, you now have to go out every day and hustle and earn a few bob and make sure that you're paying the mortgage and all those other things that we have to do. But also then, you've got to make sure that all those other people within hybrid training centre are paid as well. How have you found that transition? Yeah, so the the kind of arrogance in me is, well, just just do what I do in Liverpool in hybrid now, but for myself. And actually, I was a bit... Um, I was a bit kind of... I thought I was better than hybrid, my new business. <laughs> I actually went with the perception of this is a little bit beneath me because I'm from a big organisation, you know, with this army of people. And um, really quickly then, I knew that actually this is not do the same, but instead of doing it for someone else, do it for me. Because overnight, I'm now payroll, HR, health and safety, marketing. I'm everything. Cleaner. I'm, I'm absolutely everything. I'm a TA, you know, if if the if a teacher's off sick. Um, and every single thing in between that. And so, you know, in between going out into external meetings, I've got a ton of exam papers or, you know, you're, I don't know, you know, you've, you've got to be everything to everyone. And so I had to go through a, a kind of period of time where, okay, let's really kind of reassess here now is it worth my time trying to learn all of these different parts of the business or actually is my time more valuable and do I need to um, hand this over to people that are experts in health and safety for example or in um, you know HR for example and so that's what I chose to do and then the businesses completely completely evolved uh, from what it was 18 months ago and so you know there would be days where John would be sitting there saying to me like my god so if you were just spending out so much money because all of these professional services uh, that I was so used to being from a large organization hybrid that existing business hadn't functioned that way and so John how he done it I don't know but he had been everything to everyone and um it's actually like no look this business is evolving we've got more staff we do need the support of external organizations to be able to provide us expertise um and that's kind of how we've transitioned to allow me then a bit more time doing the things that I'm best at rather than trying to just scratch the service with everything you know people were kind of quoting at me health and safety legislation I was just thinking oh my god you know what what is going on here and so I kind of early doors said look these are the things that are going to kill me Ofsted will will close me down straight away I need a really good credible head of quality so I brought that that role in 
health and safety will crucify me. So I need a really good, credible external organisation to lead and guide me in health and safety. So we got that one. Um, finance, I'm actually not too bad at myself. So, you know, I know that um, I know how to kind of look after the budgets, look after the money. That's something that, I, that I'm interested in and I care about. And safeguarding, you know, from an education and skills point of view, safeguarding is critical. And so I brought in a really credible um, designated safeguarding lead who I know that I can go home at night, every night, and know that we've done everything we can to protect ourselves, our students in, in safeguarding. So actually, they were the kind of four biggies for me, which then allowed me to transition the businesses to, you know where I, where I wanted to go and that frees you up to do as you say the things that you're good at and that's taking what about a year to, to put that that structure in place would you say yeah so I'm 18 months down 18 the line now. now yeah wow. yeah I'm 18 months down the line and we've we we've grown dramatically um our workforce has grown dramatically the uh, customer base has, has grown dramatically. We operate over five centres across the northwest now, um, and yeah, it's it's grown grown fast for us. And just in terms of the listeners who don't know what hybrid training centre focusing on, and and sort of specialises in. Yeah, so we're a specialised uh, training provider in energy and utilities. We have an apprenticeship provision, um, which is largely gas, plumbing, electrical installation. But 50% of our business is um, upskilling of existing workforce, business to business. And so that will be engineers coming to renew their gas safety tickets or it will be um, heating engineers businesses who are making the transition over to green heating technologies now and so those engineers will come and do training and qualifications in um, heat pumps uh, solar pv battery storage so right on the money as far as the emerging technologies and industry sectors are concerned and Where do you look for business, Sophie? Is it public sector contracts? Is it private sector partners? Is it a combination of the two? Yes, we work across the two. So what we've... Hybrid has always had a big commercial presence. So we work with businesses who privately pay us for training and qualifications. And, you know, there is a, a... you know, some sizable targets around net zero nationally, but but certainly locally in the uh, in Liverpool city region. And you know, I think by twenty thirty, it's six hundred and sixty thousand heat pumps need to be installed in Liverpool city region alone. Well, we just don't have the skilled workforce to do that, and that's just the plain and simple. We don't, and so actually, we have these courses and qualifications, but you know, we're they're not cheap. And so actually now, you know, we work with the the combined authority, with the Department of Education to be able to source funds and for businesses so business can upskill existing workforce or can attract new workforce who are qualified and experienced in green heating technologies and then, you know, contribute therefore to uh, achieving those net zero targets. 
And as I say, a massive and emerging agenda. So you're going to be busy for some time to come, I'd have thought. And, and when you start to exercise your mind in terms of the present, which we all have to do as business owners, because as I say, there's a big and bigger animal now to feed than it was when you took over. You're always got one eye on the future, haven't you? Um, so as I say, look, those, that, that agenda, that net zero sustainability agenda is going to be with us for a long, long time. But knowing you uh, as I do, and you know, I'm sure people just listening to this conversation will know you've got your plans for your next steps. So what are they? Yeah, so my, my vision for hybrids is we are a national provider um, in alternative energy sources. And so actually, I, you know, I want to kind of be clear on that. So we are massively operational in renewable energy at the moment. It makes up about 40% of our business. But renewable energy isn't the only way and it won't be the only way. And I think that it's something that I've always got to be mindful of that, you know, gas is a bit of a dirty word at the moment, you know. God forbid anyone that works in fossil fuels. Well, actually, we do. And, you know, 80% of our homes are operating Mm -hmm. on, on gas. And so actually... You know, we're, a, we're an alternative energy uh, provider, so we'll continue to work on gas because there continues to be a need for gas and for gas engineers. But actually, yeah, 40% in uh, renewable heating technologies. But I'm very interested in where the sector's going with hydrogen. And um, will we or won't we heat our homes domestically with hydrogen? And I think that the research that's been... Uh, happening in that space is really good we're we're, we're some years away the trials are really good I'm very interested I've been a couple of times up to the hydrogen village in Gateshead uh, just due to go to Whitby Um, absolutely fantastic that we've got that facility in in Ellesmere Port now Um, so that's our our next big focus around um, will we be one of the first initial training providers to operate in hydrogen uh, for homes? Um, beyond that, then, I'm really interested in where the sector goes with tidal energy and what jobs emerge from tidal energy from an engineering point of view. Um, and then a couple of uh, big decisions for us, what we've made is we will... Uh, secure the premises in West Midlands this year. Uh, we haven't quite worked out where, but we know we will secure somewhere in West Midlands and we will also secure uh, two centres, one in North Yorkshire and one in South Yorkshire. And eventually, you know, within the five-year plan is we will take on, on London and we will move uh, to a, a base in London. World domination is basically the plan. And good luck to you. Um, and it's an exciting journey. I mean, we've, you know, on a, a different business, obviously, but uh, embarked upon the same sort of ambition in terms of being nationwide. And it's so difficult, but so rewarding when you actually crack a city or crack a region. You know, it's, it's great. Um, and we're still working at that, but, you know, we're in line locations now and you're not far behind us. So great. We'll grow together, Sophie. We'll grow together. So listen, let's close the conversation by talking about you as a person and your personality, how it's developed, perhaps 
But more importantly, because what we're trying to do, obviously, through this series is give people, and give women in particular, I suppose, uh, some confidence, um, some belief, and some tips as to how you sort of believe in yourself and crack on, get things done. So what are the things, do you think, within you, you have that have enabled you to embark upon setting your own business up and, at this point, uh, making it such a successful venture? I'm a worker. I, th- I think that is the the bottom line. I am an absolute grafter. I'll I'll work, you know. Um, so I might be managing director of uh, hybrids Monday to Friday, but my mum and dad have got a market stall in Great Ormond Street Market, and on a Saturday, you know, I, I'm a runner. So I do all the bottom twenty percent of the jobs because I'm not trusted with anything else, <laughs> and um, and that's the family that I've come from. So you know, my my mum and dad are the you know, they should be both retired, but actually they're not. They're, they're both still working. Um, I think hairdressing has played a big part for me to be able to achieve what I have, but bigger than that, it's the female role models that I've had, and it's always something that I'm very conscious of, that I think that sometimes we underestimate the role that a role model or a positive role model has on young people. And uh, I've been really fortunate. You know, I had a very strong female boss when I worked at Tony and Guys and Apprentice, and she was always something for me to aspire to. I've then gone into the college. I've worked, well, I've been at two colleges, both led by female principals, um, achieving really great things. And I think that's that's really important. It gets you to, to be able to see you in I see them in you but actually it's not all good it's not all easy you know and I've I have massively struggled probably more so over the last I don't know five six years I have a massive issue with imposter syndrome Mm. I just can't get past it so even now sitting in this seat (laughs) I can't get past it so you know sometimes I might sound like it's all going really well. It, the business is going really well. It's all positive. But actually, I really struggle with, well, you know, I'm a person that left secondary school with no GCSEs, grew up in Liverpool Ford in Kirkdale. Uh, no one sounds like me at this table. When I walk into this meeting, no one looks like me. And it, that that that's something that I find hard to overcome. It really is. Yeah, I, it doesn't surprise me because um, you spoke at a property and regeneration conference on a panel for us, and I could see before, during, and after how nervous you were, and yet, you know, in terms of being able to manage and run a business on a day to day basis, I don't know anyone more confident. So you're absolutely. Sp- in your comfort zone, if I can put it that way, when you're doing that sort of thing. And I suppose what you're now having to do and challenge yourself with is coming out of that. And and I think this is an issue for a lot of leaders, but particularly female leaders, uh, of taking that, as I say, spotlight of being the front person, because that's what you are now for hybrid. And in terms of sort of puffing your chest out and saying, well, you know, it might sound and 
look a little bit different, but actually I'm probably more successful than a lot of you guys sat around the table. That's going to be the next step, I guess, in terms of your personal development, isn't it? If we just go back to Birmingham, though, to be fair, you put me on a high stool with a microphone, sounding like I do. I think the audience thought they were on blind east. <laughs> and I couldn't get past that. <laughs> so I just sat there the whole time saying, shall I just get off here now and say surprise, surprise, or what? <laughs> but, yeah, it is. I, I really kind of try and do my bit for, for young females in, in um, coming into these industries, coming into the sector like engineering. One thing that I never mentioned is we're super proud of 10% of our young apprentices on an engineering programme are female. And that is, you know, I, I'm massively proud of that. We've uh, just appointed a board of uh, non-executive directors. We've got an even split of females on that board because it's so important that the young girls see themselves in these leadership roles. And so actually they're not coming uh, through with these barriers of well no one sitting at that leadership team looks like me mm. or you know sounds like me or, or whatever that may be to be honest my biggest barrier hasn't been a, about being a woman it's about sounding like I do <laughs> and I, I just don't think that I can change it honestly <laughs> at, at 40 now I just think well you know this is it is what it this is. is what it is well there's mm. an authenticity isn't there and I think accents they're a funny thing um because some people love their accent and other people hate it. Some people learn to love it. And, um, you know, when we get, we mentioned earlier, you know, we're going into different parts of the country as you are. And you, you do hear different twangs and different... In the end, people are people, you know. And if you're delivering, then people don't care what you sound like. They care about the service and the product that you provide. And I know that if somebody signs up to hybrid... Um, then they're going to get an A1 service. And even if there's something that you think, oh, I'm not quite sure we can do that, you'll find a way. Uh, and I think anyone who's listened to uh, this podcast today will will understand and appreciate that. But it's uh, an interesting point that you make um, because we've had, um, last week I spoke to Rose Marley, who I love. Um, she's got a fantastic North Manchester accent. And sounds very much like, I always, she always reminds me of Angela Rain when I speak to, to Rose. It's that same sort of Manchester twang. And then we've had Katie on, Katie Stewart, who's got a really strong Scouse accent. Um, and we've had Brummies. And, you know, for me, it's something that enriches the regions and the country. It's not something that we should actually feel necessarily uncomfortable with. But a lot of us do. No no question about it. A lot of us do. Um, but you shouldn't. And I think, as I say, anyone listening to this today will think, well, she might sound a bit funny. And uh, she might be scouse. But I tell you what, she's a go-getter and she's going to create something really special. It's been great catching up with you. Sorry about the high stool. Um, if we do that to you again, tell us off and give us a kick at the time. We wouldn't have minded if you'd have done that. And I'll tell you, that's the other thing. Because, you know, as somebody who goes on the circuit, if I get onto a platform or a stage where I think this isn't right, I just tell them. Uh, and that's something you'll learn to do as well. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, been Hope really good. Hope you haven't good. felt uh, too uncomfortable. 
Really good, thanks. You certainly haven't sounded uncomfortable. So that was Sophie Gilmore, um, the Managing Director of Hybrid Training Centre. It's an absolutely fantastic facility. If you're looking to get into that uh, upskilling of your workforce, if you're looking at net zero and thinking, how do we start to really gear ourselves up for this new agenda that's coming down the tracks, well, as here, actually, it's not coming down the tracks anymore, then get in touch with us and we will facilitate a connection with Sophie. Great to be here in the downtown den with our latest episode in the Winning Women series. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Sophie as much as I've had uh, the pleasure of speaking to her today. Speak to you again soon. Next up, I think, is Natalie Atkinson. Might be Deborah Cabman, might be Elaine Bowker, but it'll be another fantastic female sat in the seat where Sophie is now in the downtown den. So that was Sophie Gilmore, and uh, I'm sure, like me, you found that to be a fascinating conversation. Um, somebody who has gone through a, a range of uh, emotions, I guess, but also, you know, different experiences, different ways in which she's approached the challenges that she's had. And somebody at the age of 40 who says she's still learning about herself and she's still got new skills to learn. Uh, the imposter syndrome comment I thought was really interesting. The fact that she's concerned about a Scouse accent, well, that's um, something that I know she's not the only one who has doubts about. But uh, again, I'm sure you'll re agree with me that it doesn't stop her getting a message across in any way, shape or form. And it's certainly not stopped her pursuing a very successful career. But two standout quotes, you know, the one about schools uh, being interested largely in the top 20% and the bottom 20% of pupils, which means the majority of people in the middle get left behind. I think that was a fascinating comment and one that I wholeheartedly agree with. And I think the other point she made in terms of when she was at the City of Liverpool College, which is an outstanding organisation, as I mentioned during that conversation, one in which I sit on the governing board of. But there are frustrations. It's a big old beast and it's a difficult tanker to turn around at times when you're looking to do something new, looking to introduce fresh initiatives. And Sophie's description of being sat in a prestige elite car, supercar, stuck in first gear. I thought that was a tremendous way in which she was able to explain the frustrations that she was having working for such a, a big organisation. As I say, this isn't in any way, shape or form having a pop at the college. And I know Sophie certainly didn't want to portray that because she loved her time there and still has uh, an awful lot of affection for that place. But nonetheless, big organisations, big corporates, big public sector agencies often have that difficulty of, I suppose, executing, delivering the entrepreneurial um, side of business that they really need to start to do if they're to survive in the 21st century and beyond. Uh, next up in the downtown den, um, to finish off really the winning women's series, we've got uh, Natalie Atkinson, who's involved in women's football at a high level. We've got the Chief Executive of Birmingham City Council. That's Deborah Cabman. We've got Elaine Bowker, who was name-checked by Sophie, of course. Uh, she's the principal of the City of Liverpool College. Uh, we've got uh, Biograd's Managing Director. That's Dr. Natalie Kenny, And one or two others as well. So uh, still another half a dozen of so of this series to go. 
Um, I hope you're enjoying it as much as we are. And as I've mentioned, I think at least four or five times during this season, we do have our Women in Business Awards on the 10th of March in Liverpool. If you've not booked your place yet, there's a few seats remaining. Get in touch with us, all the W's, downtowninbusiness.com and come and enjoy celebrating some of the best in the business as far as female entrepreneurship is concerned. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.